folks, we often have to come out in a variety of ways. Uh, for example, I landed in Austin, Texas a few years ago and had a Lyft driver who was explaining the city to me. He was telling me about different restaurants as we drove by. And we passed a particular street and he told me like, oh, you don't need to worry about going down to the bars down there. Like, those are for gay folks. And I just kind of bit my tongue and said, oh, okay. Sometimes it's just a mindset of survival or not feeling up to fighting the status quo or defending ourselves. Sometimes coming out can be really deliberate, like when I came out to my parents. I basically had a rough draft of a speech prepared and walked through my points, kind of through tears, but at the same time I had things really planned out and prepared. Sometimes, though, coming out is just organic, like when you meet a friend of a friend and they introduce you and mention your partner. I had a particular organic coming out that was really interesting for me. Uh, I work for a remote first company, so me and my coworkers are scattered throughout the US. I'm in Ohio, but my boss at the time was living in North Carolina. Uh, it's really great because I can travel and work at the same time and go visit friends and family. We do still try to mimic normal office culture. We do weekly update emails that are supposed to mimic a water cooler, or we organize half marathons and run them in our respective cities. So it's a pretty cool environment. Last December, I was taking advantage of this remote first culture and I was in New York City visiting my boyfriend for his birthday so I guess I also have a remote first uh, long distance relationship as well. I was hanging out in a co-working space in Manhattan and just like everything else in New York City it was busy and kind of tight for space. There were shared tables and people squeezed in everywhere. After working there for a few hours, I could pin out different companies that people worked for and what each person kind of did for their job. And I'm sure they could do the same for me based on some of the conversations I was having. Uh, I had a one-on-one -on -one check in with my boss and we were just making some small talk at the beginning of the call. I have a pretty good working relationship with him and kind of personal relationship as well. And he asked about the side project I was working on. And at first I was a little confused, but then I remembered that in one of the weekly update emails we do about our work life, we just give little updates about what we're up to so folks know. I also include uh, some tidbits about my personal life. And in this latest one, I mentioned Vine and Fig. Uh, I mentioned that I was developing a website for this nonprofit group that I was working on, but I didn't go into any additional detail. So when he asked about the side project, I wasn't prepared to really talk about it, but I decided to explain Vine and Fig to him and to talk about the work that we were trying to do for queer Catholics. 
And I thought it was really interesting because not only was I coming out to my boss on this call, he didn't know I was gay before this, but I was also kind of coming out to this room of uh, all these other folks that were working at the same co-working spot. But the coolest thing about the call was it turns out that he was Catholic and we hadn't really talked about that before, but he was super supportive of Vine and Fig and mentioned some family members that he had that were kind of going through similar things that I went through. And he was really supportive and also recommended resources for me to check into when it came to running nonprofits or organizations in general because he had expertise there. And I guess this conversation affected me more than others because I hadn't prepared for it and I didn't really know what I was going to encounter. But it really gave me hope for an affirming future for the church because here I was talking to another Catholic across the internet and he was supportive of our mission. Welcome to Tabardin, everyone. by Patrick Weston, co-founder of Vine and Fig. Welcome to Tabardin, y'all. A weekly podcast about the stories we tell and the events we discuss while on pilgrimage as fantastic, smart, queer Catholics worthy of love at home and at church. I'm Jacob Flores, Filipino-Korean, the awkward aunt dancing at your wedding, newbie Catholic, and my horoscope is Jay Crew. And I'm his fiance, Pat Gothman. I pursued celibacy for almost a decade because I was gay, and now I'm planning our very own gay Catholic wedding. So, Jacob, what have we got on the podcast today? First, we're going to talk about Pope Francis having a private audience with Father James Martin. Then we'll hear what Dan Levy had to say about creating a place where everyone belongs on Schitt's Creek. Then we'll talk about the human rights campaign, trying to be less white. And as always, we'll close out by toasting what we found most inspiring this week. All right, well, on Monday morning, Pope Francis received Father James Martin in a private audience at the Apostolic Palace at the Vatican. The Pope and Father Martin spoke for 30 minutes with just a translator present. America Magazine's Gerard O'Connell reported, Father Martin would not reveal what the Pope said to him in the course of their conversation, except that, quote, we both laughed several times. He did say, however, that, quote, among other things, I shared with Pope Francis the experiences of LGBT Catholics around the world, their joys and their hopes, their griefs and concerns. I also spoke about my own ministry to them and how they feel excluded. He concluded, quote, I saw this audience as a sign of the Holy Father's care for LGBT people. Wow, that's pretty awesome. Um, Pat, did you see the photo of Father Jim and Papa Francisco that's being kind of circulated all over the internet? Yeah, the one of the private audience. It seemed it seemed intimate. They were like a like a a cordial papal distance apart mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. as they were seated there. Uh, maybe a bit staged, but you know it's it's a it's an official photograph that was being uh, passed around. But did you see Pope Francis's face? Uh, remind me. He looked like he was just staring out into nowhere. Oh, I did notice that, yeah. Um, Maybe just an awkward moment to to, to actually, you know, push down the shutter. Um, Anyways, that's the first thing I noticed. But besides that, um, yeah, this is really awesome to see Father Jim having a private audience with the Pope um, and then also saying explicitly, like, hey, we talked about 
the LGBT community within the church and how, um, or not how, but what we struggle with and how the church can help. So I, I say this is a big step for us. Yeah, it's huge. Actually having a advocate, not only just on Twitter and, and in some magazine articles, but actually in the Vatican and, and in the, uh, with the Pope. This also comes right after Father James Allison published an article for the first time explaining kind of what happened um, when Pope Francis called him in 2017. So for anybody who doesn't know, James Allison is a priest who had been laicized by the Vatican's Congregation of Clergy after he personally came out as gay, and he began advocating publicly for full LGBT inclusion in the church. So Pope Francis called him two years ago and reinstated him as a priest in good standing and said to him, quote, I want you to walk with deep interior freedom, following the spirit of Jesus, and I give you the powers of the keys. Do you understand? I give you the powers of the keys, end quote. Which is pretty incredible to kind of have these two kind of back-to-back little stories of, of Pope Francis going out of his way to reach out to one a priest who is gay himself and is advocating for full LGBT inclusion, and also for Father James Martin, who has this very public uh, ministry for queer folks within the church. Um, we often talk about how slow change is real change in the church here at Vine and Fig. And I think this is what it looks like. These little baby steps that are um, really kind of, you know, a big echoes of, of these bigger changes that hopefully are happening within the church. Definitely, definitely. Um, so just to clarify, Father James Allison, he was laicized not by Pope Francis, correct? Right. So I think Pope Benedict was technically in charge, but as far as we know, he didn't have a direct hand in it. It was kind of just the congregation that was uh, had heard that he had come out and that had uh, seen that he was kind of publicly advocating for, you know, LGBT marriage and everything kind of to be a part of a change of, of church teaching. And that's when they officially said, and you're no longer a priest. All right. Some more good news from Pope Francis. He's out, there do, he's out there doing the good stuff. So our second story, uh, over the weekend, Schitt's Creek creator Dan Levy was honored with the Davidson Valentini Award at the GLAAD Gala. The award is given by the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation to an openly queer individual who has made a significant difference promoting equal rights within the LGBT community. In his speech, Dan Levy said, I found myself in a position to tell stories on a global scale. I seized the opportunity to make a television show that might, in its own way, offer some support, encouragement, and love to those who might not have it in their homes, in their schools, or in their day-to-day lives. It was, it was a small way of paying back the generosity that had been shown to me, while at the same time creating space on television for queer characters that I could relate to. The result was Schitt's Creek, a place where everybody fits in, where love is celebrated and people's differences are a reason to start a conversation, not end one. It's a place where my character, David, a pansexual man with really intense pants and sweaters, can <laughs> fall in love with his now fiance, Patrick, a gay man without fear of consequence. It's a place where acceptance incubates joy and creates a clarity that allows people to see themselves and each other more deeply. It's fiction, yes, but I've always been told to lead by example, and this felt like a good place to start. 
Now, I know, Pat, you are a huge Shit's Creek fan. What do you think about all this? Yeah, I was uh, pretty excited. I follow all the uh, the actors on Shit's Creek pretty closely. Um, I think I'm most grateful to Shit's Creek for all of the memes that it has created. Uh, everyone on that show has some pretty fantastic facial expressions, and I send them in GIFs very regularly to everyone that... Uh, I text with, but I'd say a close second is the, the the idea that they created this place where everyone is accepted and loved. I, I feel like the closest I've come to experiencing that is when I moved to Seattle. Like, just all of a sudden being at this place where there was pride flags in every window, queer couples were holding hand, like, everywhere you went. Like, that was, it was not uncommon to see queer couples in the street, and even, like, the straight folks that were everywhere there, like, it had become by then normal. Like it was now several decades now to where this had, they had been able to get used to it. And you would see a queer couple in the street or a, you know, even like a protest or something going on. And it was just like second nature for them that like, this is a town where queer people will be accepted and loved for, for who they are. Um, I know there, there are exceptions to that every now and then there's hate crimes and stuff in Seattle. Like I don't want to paint it as being a truly, you know, kind of utopian place, but even like the churches felt affirming for me coming from, from Dallas, a place where, you know, you would more often hear about religious freedom than you ever would about like loving the queer members within the, the church. Like it just, it felt like this incredibly different world um, that I had stepped into. Wow. Seattle. <laughs> we miss you. <laughs> we miss you, Seattle. Um, yeah, I mean, as a, a Seattle native born and raised, I, yeah, I definitely agree with everything you said. Um, I think maybe we'll save it for another, another show or another podcast. Um, just kind of my relationship with pride flags, but pride flags are really everywhere in Seattle. It used to only be seen in what we used to call the Gaberhood, which is Capitol Hill. Um, where the artsy, grungy, queer um, communities kind of thrived. Um, now you see it absolutely everywhere in Seattle, and it's just a, a really nice thing. So anyways, another show, another time. Shit's Creek, such a funny show. Um, what did you like about Shit's Creek? I mean, just, I, okay, Moria is my favorite. I think her reactions and her screams, <laughs> her are, screams are, are by far the best thing. Um, but I just love how the show normalizes queer relationships and just not even queer relationships, but, you know, everybody, not just queer folk, not just straight people, we all go through weird times in our lives. And these are kind of the stories of everybody and how we deal with it as a family, as a community, friends, lovers. But yeah, I, I love that about the show. And, and overall, it's just funny. But uh, I know so many straight guys that are into this show. So I, it's, it's great. It's clearly doing something right. I'm seeing like baby boomers, heterosexual baby boomers watching this show yeah. or talking about the show and talking about how much they love it. So yeah, big ups to Shit's Creek. Yeah, cheers to Dan Levy. And our third story, the human rights campaign has hired Alfonso David, its first black president, and he says they'll no longer be an organization just for cis white men. He said, quote, this is why I believe that racial equity and inclusion cannot simply be a sliver of our work. It must be the core of our work. 
we must actively change systems, laws, and policies that disproportionately advantage LGBTQ people of color. We must change leaders and individuals who target communities of color through hateful policies and rhetoric that threatens to undermine our fundamental rights. We must deepen our support of and partnership with organizations leading the fight against racial oppression. Our staff and volunteer leadership must reflect the great diversity of the LGBTQ community, and we must lean into the conversation that deepens our understanding about race, racism, and implicit bias and how it impacts our communities and our institutions. Oh boy. All right. So HRC, great, great organization. I'll preface with that. Um, my experience and kind of what I saw, what the HRC did growing up as a gay, a gay male in Seattle um, was really narrow and just kind of siloed to white gay cis males um what i remember and what i you know always saw at the forefront uh that represented hrc were um galas tuxes money boats summer parties um and it just seemed really exclusionary because you know being there being at some of the the fundraisers and being uh, you know a stalker on you know social media all you do see is just, you know, that Instagram white gay male. Um, And so that's, yeah, that's all I saw. Um, It seemed like a lot of their work and which is, I'm really thankful for is the work that stood at the forefront in my mind was towards and for marriage equality. Um, But when marriage equality happened, it seemed like HRC kind of backed off. Um, I saw less fundraising happening in Seattle. People were less uh, committed and uh, involved. Um, so yeah, it didn't for, seem like it at that point they were just like, all right, pat ourselves on the back, and exactly. now we'll just give each other awards for how well we did in achieving that yep, one thing. Exactly. And you know, honestly, like, yeah, marriage equality uh, catered to mostly you know affluent gay males yeah. and and even lesbians. Um, it it just it seemed like that was their goal and there was, and that was it. And there was nothing further. And it seemed like, okay, we did our job. Let's, you know, congratulate, like you said, and let's move on. And that just seemed kind of weird to me, but yeah. And again, let me say again, I'm very grateful for all that HRC does um, and has done. Um, And, you know, someone else's experience with HRC could be completely different than mine or somewhere else in the country could be, uh, their HRC chapter could be completely, you know, involved in uh, propping up and holding uh, QPOC up to having equity. Um, but that's just not what I saw. But I'm really excited for this and uh, looking forward to the work they're going to do. Yeah, I'd say this is one of those areas where I would be incredibly ignorant without you, Jacob, being kind of in my life and and helping me see some of these things. I honestly, I used to be afraid of those HRC stickers, like seeing the little blue square with the yellow equal sign on cars and in laptops around Dallas when I was growing up and I was really involved in the Catholic Church and little closeted person like I was trained to see them as some kind of attack on the church and society. And even as some kind of like temptation or even threat on me personally, because like as long as those things were out there, like it was a little sign that like you could be out there living a gay sinful life. And like then I finally did come around on on gay issues and learn to appreciate the work that they were doing. But it wasn't until you finally pointed out 
that they were just this overwhelmingly white organization that largely ignored these issues that affected queer persons of color that I finally started viewing them a little more, I guess, skeptically and, and wanted to see more from them. Um, like, I just never would have even thought to, to look at that, like coming from my, my white suburban background. So um, I hope the wealthy white gays that have bankrolled them for over a decade will now listen to their new president, Alfonso David, when he says that uh, they're going to be a new organization for the entire community and, and not just for themselves. Definitely. Um, and, you know, when it comes down to uh, when it comes to uh, trans women of color, don't invite Caitlyn Jenner to be like your spokesperson or to be the person to, you know, mediate and bridge that gap. Uh, do better. Do, do better. Do better. Be better. <laughs> Okay, so what are we toasting today, Pat? So I'd like to toast uh, a statue that Pope Francis has dedicated, a brand new statue in St. Peter's Square for the World Day of Migrants and Refugees that was over the weekend. Uh, The statue depicts 140 migrants from different ethnicities and time periods in a boat with a pair of angels' wings sticking out kind of high from among the refugees in the middle of the boat. It's called Angels Unaware, which is a reference to Paul's letter to the Hebrews, which says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for so by doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. It's this incredibly beautiful and powerful statue. I'm really glad that it is now permanently in St. Peter's Square. And a big toast to the individuals and parishes reaching out to us with such positive feedback. Um, Really all so amazing. Um, it's feedback like this that really keeps us committed to creating this space for queer Catholics and allies um, who want to help allow us to be loved and love within the church. Yeah. So cheers to all of you, to the guy in Canada who made that statue, and to all of us who have been offering us some 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 feedback. Cheers. All right, y'all. That is it for episode four of Tabard Inn. If you want to support the podcast, you can go to our Patreon for Vine and Fig, or you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll see you all again next week. Thank you. Bye. Love y'all. you. See you. Bye.